Good morning. I am so glad that you've joined us today. Uh, today is a, is a day where I just have to express to you my gratitude for those of you who have stayed with us much longer than any of us thought we would ever be online. We, we have discovered the joy of watching God use you. To those of you who have given financially, thank you so much. To those of you who are checking on your neighbors, thank you so much. To those of you who are serving in frontline positions to help our community and the people around us, thank you so, so much. I really don't have time to, to tell you all the different ways that God is using Eastside Church during this worldwide pandemic. But I did want to take just a moment to tell you that over the last couple of weeks, I've had those overwhelming moments when I've, I've just been so filled with gratitude for you and for the way God is using you. And if you've started joining us over these last few weeks, we're so grateful that you found us. We hope that, that you'll invite somebody else to join us as we continue to lift up Jesus Christ as Savior for those who are lost, as Lord of his church, and as reconciler for the entire world. Today we're going to continue our, our look into John chapter 17, into the prayer that Jesus prayed, and, and we're going to get to a, a place in this prayer that, that becomes intensely personal. Uh, last week I, I shared with those of you who joined us that, that there have been times in my life when, when I've been prayed for, and in particular a prayer that my mother prayed for me before I left home. But she's not the only one who's prayed for me, and not the only one whose prayers I've seen have an impact far beyond what they originally thought would happen. When I became a senior pastor back in, in the mid-80s in a church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, I, I inherited a, a congregation full of great love and joy and, and people who wanted to serve God. But I, I also found out very quickly in that church that the founding pastor had five children who were involved in the life of that church. And there are a lot of young pastors who look at something like that and think, oh my goodness, these people are gonna be my worst nightmare. They're gonna be a, a, someone who wants to try to tell me what to do. And, and I'm young and I've been to school and I've got all the answers and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell this church where to go. And yet what I discovered was those five people were some of the greatest prayer warriors I'd ever met in my life. And they were the people who loved me when I made mistakes. They were patient with me. They celebrated with me. They were such a joy to pastor. And I'm absolutely convinced that one of the ways that created that sense of leadership and love and grace in their lives was the way they were raised by their mom and dad, the way they were raised in order to love Jesus Christ. And one of the things was the way they had been prayed for. And it wasn't just the five of them. It was that whole congregation. Because you see, even though I became the pastor of that church several decades after it was founded, those five children of the founding pastor could quote for me verbatim the last prayer their father prayed as pastor of that congregation. And not only would they quote it to me, but other members of the congregation who had been there when he had retired from that pulpit two decades before I arrived could quote the prayer for me because that prayer had formed that church. It had, it had formed their ministry. The prayer was, was really a, quite simple. On his last Sunday there, standing with that group of people, 
with the new young pastor that was coming to be the pastor arriving the next week, this elderly statesman of the church who loved the people God had given him to serve prayed this prayer. God, you have gifted this church with a sense of unity and love and grace in its midst. And today, as their pastor, I'm stepping away, I'm retiring, and God, I want to ask you to keep this church connected to you and connected to each other. I pray, God, that if anything would ever happen to break the unity of the bond of love in this church, that you would either change the person who was bringing the division until their heart would melt with the heart that you have for this church, or that in your grace and in your timing, you would move them away from this church so that this church could always be a place marked by grace and love and unity. And two decades later, as members of that congregation would share that story and share the words of that prayer with me, they would, they would say to me, and Pastor Robinson, it's been amazing. Over the decades, we've watched since he left our presence, as time after time, people would come into our midst and, and perhaps there would be a little disagreement or a little rub of personality, and, and we watched people change, and we've watched the body of Christ grow. That prayer from that founding pastor had impact far beyond that day or that year or even the lives of those people. It's that kind of prayer, that kind of prayer that has longevity, that kind of prayer that has long-lasting impact that Jesus prays. And in fact, he prays a prayer 2,000 years ago that is still, still having impact for you and me. In fact, for those of you who think that no one has ever prayed for you, I need you to know you're wrong. The very Son of God, Jesus the Christ, he prayed for you. You don't believe me? Listen to John chapter 17. I'll, I'll start reading in verse 20. Listen to what Jesus prayed for you. Father, I, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you. Jesus is saying to God, I'm not just praying for these 12 men gathered around me. I'm not just praying for the 120 people who've become a part of this upper room fellowship. No, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm praying for all the people who will hear from them what I have brought. Listen, I pray that, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus 
prayed for us. He prayed for you. But it isn't just that 2,000 years ago he prayed for you. Jesus actually still prays for you. If you look into the book of Acts, you'll discover in the second chapter that after Jesus had been crucified and buried and resurrected on the third day, after Jesus had spent some 40 days with his disciples opening up the Bible and showing them what had happened and while the scriptures pointed to what he had done, there is a place in Acts chapter 1 where, where Jesus ascends to be with the Father. He leaves this earth and he ascends to be in heaven. And in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching to people who've gathered from around the world. And in that sermon, he, he makes an assertion. He says that, that this Jesus, who was crucified in Jerusalem some 40 days earlier, who had been resurrected, and he and the others who were speaking that day had witnessed that resurrection, had had dialogue with him, had had communication with the resurrected Messiah, Jesus the Christ, that that Jesus the Christ was now at the right hand of God. The right hand of God. And years later, when the Apostle Paul would write to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 8, verse 33, he makes this statement. He says that, that Jesus is the one who sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us. What does that mean? It means that Jesus didn't just pray for you and me at some point in time in the past. It means that Jesus didn't just pray this prayer and walk away. It means that Jesus is literally right now, today, May 17th, 2020, in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, he is at the right hand of God. And what he's doing at the right hand of God is he is praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for all of us who will confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and he's asking God to meet our needs. He's asking God to heal our wounds. Jesus didn't just pray for us in the past. He prays for us today. And this morning, I, I thought perhaps we should listen to what he prayed in the past in order to get a feel for what it is he's praying for us now. Because you see, when, when he says, Lord, I, 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 I'm not just praying for these who have been in my presence, I'm praying for all of those who will believe because of them. He invites us into a, a place where, where we get to see his heart. And, and he prays, he prays for you and me and all who would ever hear the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He prays that we would live with a divine connection to him. A, a divine connection to him that, that is so, so interwoven into our life that when other people see us, they see him. 
And because of the connection we have to him, they are drawn to him. They begin to believe in him. They begin to believe that this story they heard, this, this account of, of a God who loved the world so much that he would send his only begotten son is more than some propaganda. It's more than some placard held up at a, at a sporting event. It's, it's more than some memory verse placed on a bumper sticker. No, no, it's a reality because they know someone who lives in such a connection to Jesus that it draws them to Jesus. It draws them to grace. It draws them to love. Jesus is praying for you today that even if you have wandered away, even if you have been broken, even if you have been hurt, even if you have been wounded in the deepest part of your soul, that you would hear his voice, that you would turn and accept the love and accept the, the mercy and accept the forgiveness and, and understand that, that the one who spoke the world into being is actually right now talking to God about you. And he's not gossiping about you. He's not telling God all the bad things that you've done. He's not telling God all the wounds and all the hurts. What, he, what he's saying to God is, God, listen, I am in them and they are in me when they believe in me. So God, I'm asking you, I'm asking you to forgive. I'm asking you to see me and and the purity of my sacrificial love. Don't, don't look at the sinfulness and the shame and the guilt that they carry around as if that's who they really are because that's not who they really are. When they turn, when they embrace, when they live in connection to me, then, then they're living in me and I'm living in you and, and there's a divine connection that changes everything. Listen to it again as I read. I pray, Lord, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The grace, the mercy, the forgiveness of Jesus, it, it creates in us a an authenticity, uh, an integrity, uh, a consistency of, of who we are. Oh, it doesn't happen overnight. And none of us is ever perfect. None, none of us ever lives that way where we in our humanness can, can account for some other person seeing God in us. It, it's not because you work so hard to try to be good that someone sees Jesus in you. It's because you stay connected to Jesus and you find for yourself the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness, the love, that someone else sees it in you. And when they do, when you stay so connected that others can see God at work in your life, that you really are connected to him, then, then you get a gift you, you receive a gift and you give a gift. It's the gift that Jesus prays for you. Jesus prays not only that you would live connected to him, but, but also that, that you would receive his glory in your life. A glory that, that increases and creates connections 
among all of us who have discovered his grace and his goodness and his mercy. You see, there's a, there's a lot of conversation happening right now about how we're all in this together, this worldwide pandemic, this response to COVID-19. And there's a lot of wonderful, good, human effort going into that. But what Jesus is praying for is not that we would work hard and cooperate well and, and be good people of God. No, no, no. What, what, what he's praying for is that, is that we would be so connected to him and that he would be so connected to us that would be so interwoven in the core of our being that, that we receive the full glory of God in our life. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Are you talking about some mystical experience? No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm, I'm talking about an understanding of who you are, of an understanding of who God is. You see, His glory his glory is contained in his identity. It's, it's his personhood. It's his, it's his name. It's his word. It's his action. What, what Jesus is praying for is that we would live in such a connected way with God, that we would live in such a connected way with him, with Jesus, that we would in that connection not just be a witness to those around us about how God can redeem us, but that we would also learn that we we receive in us the presence of God, the glory of God, the, the name of God, so that our behavior, our actions, our attitudes, they are all shifted in a way that, that no longer reflects our desires, but, but now our desires are changed. Our, our hearts are transformed. We, we begin to reflect the glory of God. A few nights ago, I... I slipped out of my home on one of those wonderful, clear, cool nights we've been having this spring. And as I turned out the lights to my house and sat in a chair in my back lawn, out in the, in the countryside, just a little north of town, it seemed as if the stars were so close that I could touch them. It seemed as if the, the mercy and the grace and the love of God were so close that I could feel them. I think perhaps, dear ones, that, that that's exactly what Jesus was praying for for us. That the people of this world, the people who are hurting, the people who are, who are scared, the people who are trying to figure it out, would see him in us in such a way because we're so connected to him that they would understand that there is more to life than what they've experienced. There is a glory. There is a, there is a personhood. There is a, there is a life. And it connects us to each other because we're connected to God. Unity among the people of God can never be coerced. Unity among the people of God can, can never be voted on and acted upon. <laughs> Unity among the people of God is never something created by a human desire or effort. Unity among the people of God is only experienced when we experience Jesus in such a way that he lives in us 
and we live in him, and he lives in the Father, and the Father lives in him, and all of us have that, that love and integrity and grace that Jesus prayed and still prays for us to have. When that happens, when, when we receive this gift of the presence of God in our life, then it, it moves us to a place. It moves us to a place where, where we understand more of what he wants in our life. Listen to it again from John chapter 17, verse 22. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus says, look, I'm, I'm giving them who we are, God, so that in that process of, of their connectedness to us, they would experience each other in a fresh way. They would experience each other in a way of, of love and grace and mercy. Yes, justice and truth, but also grace and love and mercy. And in that process, I, I want them to discover something else. And Jesus prays that we would experience a, a divine empowerment in our life, a, a way that, that we can't humanly understand, a way in which the woundedness that's been healed, the brokenness that's been put back together, the, the, the way that, that God is at work in us so, so changes us that, that we can't help but share that love that we've experienced with somebody else, with anyone else, with everyone else, so that the integrity, the consistency of our life speaks louder than the words that we say. That the integrity, the consistency, the, the love of our life grows not out of our effort, not out of our, our works righteousness, not out of our sense of trying to be more than we are, but instead it comes out of this experience of who Jesus is, this experience of the divine, this connection of Jesus in us and us in him and Jesus in the Father and the Father in Jesus and all of us in this, this holy relationship empowered by the Spirit and love of God. Some time ago, I, uh, I watched a young man come into the life of a church. I, I watched as he, as he came Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, as he sat on the back row and, and just watched the people of the church. Finally, one day I, I was walking past him after a service, and he, and he pulled me aside and said, would you pray for me? The English was broken, and I realized that he had come here from another country. He had come here to central Indiana from somewhere far beyond the borders of the United States. And that here he had no one. He had no family. He had no relatives 
But he had found his way down the street into this place called Eastside. And I, I turned to him and said, sure, I'll be glad to pray with you. How can I pray with you? And he said, in the broken English, I've been watching these people love each other. I would ask you to pray that I could find that love in my life. This morning, I, I want to ask you, are you at that place? Are you at that place where, where in the midst of the horrible worldwide global pandemic of COVID-19, you've seen the grace, you've seen the mercy, you've seen the integrity of people who in the midst of this horrible situation continue to be connected to Jesus, continue to, to live out of his personhood, continue to, to serve and care. If you are, if you're at a place where you are seeing those things, and like that young man, you've been watching, oh, you've not been in this room where I'm standing, watching people interact and seeing how they live, but instead, you're in a neighborhood. You're, you're in your home. You, you're seeing the love and the grace and the mercy of God extended by those around you. For no church building ever contains the church. It just simply gives us a place to connect. I would invite you today in these next couple of moments to experience the power and the love and the grace of Jesus. And in fact, I would invite you as I invited that young man to pray a very simple prayer. The prayer simply says this, Jesus, I've seen your work in the lives of people and now I need that in my life. So I'm asking you to heal my brokenness, to forgive my wayward rebellion, and to bring me into a relationship with you that you prayed I would have. Thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for always loving me. And today, I declare to you that I will live for you. For it's in the strong name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen.